Beyond the Box 42, 2022 Trends Part 3. The only solution is revival. I've been speaking to you about the year 2022, but it can apply actually to the years before and the years coming on what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in the earth today. As one that has spent 30 years now, not just teaching the Bible, but also, in addition, watching world trends and viewing them from a biblical worldview and sharing that with the church, I am convinced that, first of all, the challenges we face today are great, they are complex, and in some cases seemingly insolvable, at least from a human point of view. They are not insolvable from God's point of view. God is a problem solver, not a problem maker. We, in our selfish, self-willed, and carnal way, we're the problem. We're the ones that are creating all the troubles. God is the one that has the solution. Ultimately, the solution is the gospel of Christ, dying to self, accepting the gospel, letting Christ live in us. He is the King of glory. And as we open up our hearts wide, according to Psalm 24, we let the King of glory come in. All of this are part of God's solution. But I also want to take this a bit further, because the challenges we face in our world, particularly the challenges to Western civilization, which include especially the internal challenge of the culture war, secular progressivism versus traditional values people, globalism versus nationalism, and biblical morality versus a new morality, which is the antithesis of what the Bible teaches. What is the solution? It's not legislative and political. Just having an election is not going to solve the problem, because it's not just actions that people take, it's mindsets that they have. Mindsets don't get changed by elections, or by legislation, or by government spending, or sometimes by education, but not always. So how can we change not just actions, but thoughts and intents of the heart? Well, that's something only God can do. And God can do it in a wholesale way. He can do it through what we call revival. I've been saying for a while, and I'm as convinced as ever, that the number one response and solution to the many challenges we face is a last day's revival. The Bible does speak about it, and it could very well be we're on the cusp of such a wonderful outpouring. Let me quote to you from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. And remember that this is the day the church was born, Acts chapter 2. It's a wonderful passage. Let me read it to you. Again, Acts 2, verses 17 to 21. This is quoting from the prophet Joel in chapter 2 of that same book. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Boy, there is so much said in just a mere five verses. But the main points are this. In the last days, there will be a universal outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, young and old, male and female. Yes, it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts chapter 2, but there is a greater fulfillment because you see in Acts 2, it was poured out on all Jewish flesh. It was a total Jewish congregation. (laughs) The gathering for the Feast of Pentecost, one of the three pilgrimage feasts annually to the Jerusalem temple. This outpouring is actually going to be worldwide. And in many ways, we've seen the beginning of that outpouring over a century ago with the advent of the Pentecostal revival, which officially started in 1901 and took fire with the Welsh revival of 1904 and the Azusa Street revival of 1906, and basically has continued on to this very day, affecting one out of every 10 persons on this planet. Fantastic. But we believe God's going to do even more than that. He's going to pour out the Spirit. He's going to show heavenly signs and signs on the earth as well. And then the third thing I want to point out is that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, regardless of who they may be, as far as national origin or location or educational background or gender or you name it, it doesn't matter who they are. What matters is if they call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Wonderful words from Acts chapter 2. Something to keep in mind for the rainy days ahead. And then we have, of course, something else. What is the solution? I say it's revival. What does revival actually mean? Well, revival means two words. Viva means life. And re, R-E, means again. In other words, to come to life again. That's revival. So really, it applies to the people of God who technically have eternal life and real life and abundant life in Christ, coming alive again. They have been alive before, they're now alive once more. Out of that comes people who've never been alive to God coming to faith, calling on the name of the Lord, and they shall be saved. So revival starts with God's people. And the classic verse on revival is 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then from heaven will I hear, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. God's people does the seeking and the repenting, and repentance is as much indispensable for revival as repentance is indispensable for salvation and coming alive in God once. Revival, coming alive in God again. 
Repentance is the prerequisite in both cases. So with that in mind, what are we really looking for in our world? We're looking for revival, and I'm going to suggest three other words, all beginning with the letter R. We're also looking for restoration, reformation, and renewal. So restoration, what is that? There's much that can be said, but to keep it in a few words. It tells us in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, and this is the Apostle Peter preaching again. He was preaching in Acts 2, now he's preaching in Acts 3, at Miracle of the Gate, beautiful with the lame man, and he says in verse 21 of Acts 3, and that God will send Jesus Christ, meaning the second coming, who was preached to you before, whom the heavens must receive. In other words, he's going to remain in heaven until, until what? The times of restoration of all things. What things? The things spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. The last days with the revival will also be a time of restoration. Restoration, we believe, in this context means to restore something to its original condition or to return something to its rightful owner. We want the church to return back to the purity of its early days where they gave themselves over to prayer, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and all the rest of it with the supernatural, with a passion for evangelism, church planting, and the like. There's many things we've learned that have been positive over 2,000 years of church history, but there's some things we would do just as well to jettison or no longer use. It's a time of restoration, restoring people back to God, to basically the original condition that we were in before sin was introduced to the world. In other words, Genesis 1 and 2 with the first couple. That would be the ultimate restoration in my mind. The second thing is reformation. Reformation along with restoration and revival. Reformation, of course, happened half a millennia ago in Europe, what we call the Protestant Reformation. It's not starting a new church. It's restoring the church to its original condition, its purity, and so on. Or It's both restoring, but it's also going forward, too. The Reformation, and I'm not trying to make uncomfortable Orthodox or Catholic believers, but the Reformation had a very positive outcome. There were some negatives, but basically, in my mind, it was very, very positive because it restored us back to the centrality of the Bible, the Word of God, as the highest and sole source of authority in practice as well as in belief. It also restored the truth of what we call preaching as the means of delivering the Word of God in the God-ordained, empowered way that actually changes lives. God doesn't use, well, there's all kinds of things he could use, and in some cases he does, but ultimately it's the preaching and proclaiming of his word that causes people to repent, to believe, and to receive Christ and the gospel. So we need to see reformation. Some things we're doing can be enhanced, some things we're doing need to be improved, 
Some things we doing need to be corrected, and some things we are doing need to be stopped altogether. We need reformation. And reformation, apparently, of course, is a longer-term project than revival, but it will make the church fighting fit to face the days ahead with confidence. And then there is a fourth R, and we call it renewal. Renewal is where the church is made new again, which is, of course, interlinked with revival, reformation, and restoration. The church is made new again. I can't think of anything that renews the church more wonderfully than a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Kind of like, and it's a trite example, but after a long, hard day, you go and take a warm shower, and you soap up, and you feel clean and fresh and sweet-smelling again. It's kind of like that, but much more profound and much, much deeper. God wants us to renew. I love what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 31, where he that waits upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wonderful, wonderful words, and so true. The Holy Spirit is indispensable in renewal, as he is in all these other areas. And I didn't even mention repentance, or I mentioned it very briefly, but I didn't even include it in the R's. It really is the fifth R, along with revival, restoration, reformation, and renewal. We want this Acts chapter 2, 17 renewal. We want it not just for the church, but for the world, pouring out the Spirit on all flesh. Now, there's some teaching that came out in the 1970s by the late Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission. It was very good teaching, but it didn't seem to get a lot of traction, but it's coming back in vogue again. And I haven't heard a whole lot of it, but I do concur with its bottom line message. It's about the seven mountains of influence in society. We know that the culture war has very much, especially with cultural Marxists and secularists and secular progressivists and whoever else, they have wisely and cleverly targeted these seven mountains, including family, religion, government, business, education, arts and entertainment, and media. If the church only focuses on the church and nothing else, then these things will be untouched and up for grabs by other forces who do not share the church's worldview. We believe that the outpouring that is coming is not going to just touch the church and its four walls. It will affect family, religion, government, business, education, arts and entertainment, and media. It not only will affect these things, we need it to affect these things. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit will not just fall upon the church, but on these other areas of society. Let's not just assume it's going to happen. Let's not be apathetically, lazily, and passively watching for these things. We need to contend earnestly for the faith. And part of contending for the faith, as said in Jude 3, 
is not just what is written and what we believe is fundamental doctrine. It also means contend for the purposes of God in these days to be fulfilled. Because if they're not fulfilled soon enough, we're going to have massive problems, worse than what we have right now. But if we seek the Lord diligently, repent where that is required. We don't do it automatically. We do it as the Lord leads. Daniel did it in his famous prayer of Daniel 9, and he got the 70-week prophecy as a result, foundation of all end-time prophecy. It was an amazing thing. So let's go and do the first works in the spirit of the first love. Seek the Lord diligently with thanksgiving, with praise, with worship, because guess what? Thanksgiving, praise, and worship are not just acceptable, wonderful things we do for the Lord. They are the languages of faith, thanksgiving, praise, and worship, and the language of revival. People that are constantly praising God are revived people. And there's some very powerful things that happen when we praise God. Remember that Jehoshaphat's army wasn't deployed when he was invaded by three kingdoms. He was told to send out the singers, the musicians, the worshipers to the front lines in the wilderness of Judea. And it says in Second Chronicles 20 in verse 22, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set up ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which have come against Judah, and they were smitten. Praise God for that. So we need to sow praises in the heavens so God can rain down blessing on the earth. Not just praises, thanksgiving, worship, prayer. Fill those bowls in heaven, and out of the overflow will come the blessing of God. I want to point out one other final thing, and this is extremely important. With the seven mountains of societal influence in mind, we want the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. But ultimately, the solution for everything is this revival which touches many people in many different walks of life. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, it talks about the fivefold ministry gifts, which are people with certain offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The purpose of these fivefold ministry, listen to this, Ephesians 4, verse 12, listen carefully, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Very simple and profound. Ministry should not be limited to full-time, credentialed, theologically trained people alone. Oh, I believe everyone should know sound doctrine. I believe everyone should know the Bible. Everyone should be rightly related to the body of Christ. But ultimately, it is the body of Christ, the person in the pew, that's being called of God to do the work of the ministry. It's very simple, mathematically. If it's only left up to career, full-time, credentialed ministers to do the Great Commission, we could be waiting for another 10,000 years. But if the ministry and the gifts of ministry equip the people of the church for the work of the ministry, and it's all kinds of things is the work of the ministry, not just public preaching, it's everything anything to do for the cause of Christ, if they're equipped, motivated, trained, and deployed, we could see the Great Commission fulfilled in our lifetime. That's why I call it EBAM, Every Believer a Minister, Ephesians 4, 11, 12, 
and 13. I believe that's what God wants to do, not just in this year, but in every subsequent year till the coming of Jesus. Every believer a minister unto repentance, revival, restoration, reformation, and renewal. Join with me in prayer as we conclude this podcast. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the wonderful prospect of deploying not just four, but all five R's into our world. We believe it will solve many problems. It won't be a perfect world that will come when Jesus' kingdom is established, but it will make a massive difference, instilling hope and insight and inspiration, where at present there's confusion and despair and fear. We thank you for all this, what we can look forward to as we seek your face in Christ's name. Amen.